Well, if you would, take your Bibles and open with me to Romans 1. We are going through a series right now called Dealing with the Death Parade. The reason why we're calling it that is because everything that we're dealing with in life and existence on the face of the earth right now leads to one point, and that is death. Now, this doesn't sound like a very positive sermon, I know. Uh, And there's a lot about this that is not, but here's what I've noticed is by looking at the deadliness of sin and knowing that Jesus Christ doesn't just promise life, but he is life. That makes him much more glorious in the light of all the darkness that we deal with. Hopefully it encourages you to look beyond what you're currently dealing with and beyond that and set your eyes at the right hand of God where Jesus is. That is where we live. Regardless if you believe that or not, that is where our place is. We don't live for this world we live for that. And today we are going to dissect this passage. We're only dealing with two verses today, but we're going to pull this apart. And at the end, I'm going to show you some examples of what exactly Paul is talking about here. So let's read chapter one, verses 16, 17, 18, and 19. Let's do that. It says here, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, for deliverance, for rescue, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now pay attention to this. It is revealed in the gospel, God's very righteousness. Look what it says. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous man shall what? Live by faith. Now watch as we move. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Does everybody see this? Okay. How many of you are pretty familiar with this passage? Okay, good, good. So it's going to be easy for you to navigate and work through this. So let's get started. If you have your pen, and I'm going to have Mitch bring this up. We can see it. I apologize for the little shadow. I don't know whoever designed. This is called an Elmo. And, And what this is, yeah, it's not like Sesame Street Elmo, but... It's, it's uh, an overhead projector that's digital, okay? Whoever designed this didn't accommodate for the shadow factor. Well, let's go through and let's mark this up real quick. Yes. Well, I have a light on here too, see? See how much better it is? There it is without, and there it is with. Everybody just loved me, okay? I don't feel good. I worked really hard on this this week. Some of you thought there wasn't a God. There is a God. It's you, Pete. You're the one who turned off the light. Okay. So because Pete outed himself as the one who turned off the light, there is no treasure for you. You just got the recognition that... You want it, right? Do it in silence, brother. All right. So your, warder, your Lord who sees in silence can reward you. 
Uh, biblical jokes, fun. Okay. So here's what we want to notice. First word in this sentence is what? Four. Anytime that you see four in Paul's writings, he is getting ready to develop or unfold an argument for a previous statement he has made. Something I do in my Bible, if you were to pick up my Bible and look at it, you would see it all over the place. I give a heavy underline to four. If you're in hermeneutics class, you've seen this. And I bring out an arrow here, and I point up. And the reason is, is because whatever he is telling me is going to open up and be an extension of what he's just said. Now, here's the question. What did Paul just previously say? Now that you've seen what we're doing, do any of you need copies of this sheet? Like, I don't need a copy. I'm too cool. Oh, we're going to do stuff. Anybody? Okay, so we're good on this. I want to make sure. I want everybody to have this because I want you to see it because this is going to start telling you as we walk through this passage over the next few weeks exactly what is wrong with our world and why it's wrong. Okay? Paul's already answered this question. What is the deal that we're dealing with? Here's what it is. The righteousness of God is revealed in what? In the gospel. And if you remember, it's an interesting little phrase that's going on. From faith to faith. Or let's say it this way. From justification, faith, to sanctification, faith. From not just, I hear the gospel, I believe it, and therefore I am declared righteous by God because he now sees me through the lenses of Jesus Christ as holy and pure in his sight, but also it is as I am exercising faith in my daily life by taking what God has told me in his word and applying that truth to my present situation, regardless if it doesn't seem like it's going to work out. We live by faith, not by sight. Now, the quotation says, for the righteous man will what? Live by what? By faith. Notice this isn't talking about a go to heaven when you die situation. It is talking about a how you live your life situation. So the word for, there's everything to do with this immediate context that is wrapped up in that. Now, the wrath of God. The wrath of God is an attribute. And this deals with God's anger, and usually associated with it, is the idea of justice. In fact, I've got a couple of things I want to show you. First, I want to give you again the definition that we talked about last week of what is wrath. Mitch, can we bring that up on the screen real quick? Anytime that you go through the Bible and you see that God is getting ready to unleash wrath, you know that this has happened in order to bring it to that end. Slow computer. Must be a Mac. <laughs> Mitch is praying curses against me now. Do we not have it? Is the Elmo so powerful that Does anybody have the definition of for wrath from last week? What is it? Somebody tell me. Wrath is the righteous reaction of God. It is the righteous reaction of God toward repeated evils of mankind enacted only after a time of warning and grace. God always gives a heads up. In fact, if you remember, we have from Isaiah all the way to Malachi of God's grace in speaking toward people and speaking to them about the necessity of recognizing evil turning away from evil because God was going to come in to judge. 
Now, if God wanted to, as soon as somebody committed something evil, he could immediately step in, squash the situation, destroy everyone, hold them accountable, take their life. He's able to do that. He's God. That's part of him having all power. He is omnipotent. That's part of him being righteous. The fact that he is setting the standard for how he wants to judge in those situations. So he has the ability to judge sin if he chooses to. But instead, he acts in grace. He sends warning to people to let them know beforehand. I'm reading a really good book, and I'm actually getting ready to to finish up with it. I've only got two chapters left. It's called Transgender to Transformed. And it is about a lady who grew up in the church, went to it with her parents, hated it like every teenager does, decided they were going to go out and do their own thing, live their own life. I'm just looking to be me. I want to be free. I want to do my own thing. The whole independence rebellion type of attitude that comes with that. And in doing so, went so far is to not only get promiscuous with tons of people, but actually move herself into a situation where she began to transition. And in doing that, all of a sudden, the gospel comes in and invades her life. And she gets saved and becomes a believer in Christ. And it's her story that is laid out. Her name is Laura Perry. I encourage you to get a copy. If you'd like to get a copy of it, she actually sent me $2 coupons in order to help with that, uh, offset the cost. But excellent read. Excellent read about how Jesus can take somebody that maybe a lot of us would consider too far gone, too far out there, way off the deep end, or some of us would consider unsavable, and yet you see how the grace of God is able to reach in and do a situation like that. And she details warning after warning after warning after warning that the Lord sent into her life. And she'll even tell you, I should have listened then, but I didn't. I wanted to do what I wanted to do instead of what God was calling me to do. It's the Adam and Eve problem. So the idea of the wrath of God coming, he always gives grace in that situation. I found another good definition for grace that was explained by a really smart guy that loves Greek named Linsky. Can we look at that real quick? It says, this wrath is not fiction, nor a figure of speech, but a terrible reality. The constant, unchanging reaction of God's holiness and righteousness to sin. It's not a fable. How many people do you think, or let me ask you this, do you think that your friends would think that you're fanatical if you started talking, well, I know they do that anyway for you, Maxine, absolutely, (laughs) but they would think that you are fanatical because you started telling them about God's going to bring wrath. You think they would talk to you anymore? How many friends do you think you'd lose on Facebook? I don't know, I haven't been on Facebook in four years. Do they tell you when you've been unfriended? Oh, they should. They should. Jeremy just lost 40 friends. That would be great, wouldn't it? But think about that. You start talking about things like that, and people get weird. Why do people get weird? Here's the reason why people get weird, because it's true. That's the only reason why people get weird about it. Is because we love living our lives and compartmentalizing our Christianity. Sure, I'm a Christian. That's cool. Whatever. But then when it really comes down to holding people to task, accountability, when it's the idea of walking in holiness with the Lord, well, you're just a little too serious about Jesus for me. Why would we want to be so serious about Jesus? Because wrath is real. And we have 66 books that document the promise 
and in most cases, the active unfolding of wrath. So we need to be aware of what exactly this is. The wrath of God here deals with his anger. It deals with his justice. Now watch this. The wrath of God is revealed. Revealed. The idea of, uh, I don't remember what the Greek tense of, but it's from the same word, apocalypsis, where we see the revelation. It's the idea of the unveiling that you're going to deal with in a situation. Picture, uh, picture a magician on the stage, and all of a sudden he pulls back you know, a, a, a blanket or something, and you see, I don't know, tiger in a cage, whatever. But the idea of unveiling this idea for everybody to see. And this unveiling is so important, whenever they want to stress something in the Greek that is so important, they will take whatever is the most important thing in that sentence, and they will put it up front. The idea of God revealing his wrath is the very first thing that this sentence approaches. It's revealed. He wants to show it. And notice this, it's in what tense? No. It is in the present tense. It is presently being revealed. It is a present tense wrath. Now, we're not totally unfolding yet. We're going to have to work through the passage of what that unfolding of the wrath looks like. But the fact that we're seeing up front is the fact that it is being revealed. And notice that it's from heaven. Let me ask you a question. Biblically speaking, not what you learned from the Charmin commercial, okay? Biblically speaking, what is in heaven? Huh? The what? Say it again. The abode of God. It's his throne room, right? It's everything we see in Revelation 4, and we go, good grief, I don't even know what's going on here. It is... A sea of glass. It is a rainbow of emerald around his throne. It is four living creatures that got four different faces and all kinds of wings, eyes all over, wheels spinning, fire going, angels bowing down. How come Disney hadn't come up with something like this yet? You ever seen anything like this try to be depicted? It's incredible. That's a throne room of God. And it's interesting because it talks about an out from his throne come lightning and peals of thunder. I mean, it is a awesome, awesome spectacle. This is where it comes from. Location-wise, the throne room of God, it comes from Him. Now, here's the problem. Against. It's coming against somebody or something. All. Now, You should know this from foundational framework. What's the word all mean? All. (laughs) Aren't you glad you spent 71 weeks in that class? But seriously, all means everybody unless the context steers you differently. Every bit, all that there is, God is presently dealing with regarding his wrath in some way. And notice the problems that we have. The first one is ungodliness. But here's what I want you to do. Here's the problem. Godliness isn't the problem. Un is the problem. The fact that it's ungodly. Let me give you some definitions or some understandings of ungodly. Lack of reverence. Bless you. In fact, here's what it is. An unthinking, an unthinking about God 
and his authority. It is making decisions. It is deciding on a career path. It is positioning yourself in such a way as to where God, who is the greatest being to ever be and is the creator and we are his creation, is completely separated and pushed aside as playing any factor whatsoever in the decision process. It is un-minus godly. Okay? Now notice, that's the first thing that God's wrath is presently being revealed against. All type of thinking, positioning, and decision-making that is ungodly, that has God not in the factor of making that decision, thinking, process, whatever it is. God is absent. Now, here's the next one. And, what is it? Unrighteousness. Isn't that the thing that if we confess our sins that he will cleanse us from? All unrighteousness. See right there, you're thankful that all means all, aren't you? You're thankful that it doesn't mean some, many, 99%. Praise the Lord, it means all. So notice, we have ungodliness and unrighteousness. Let me give you a short definition for unrighteousness. Actually, it's probably not short. Who in the world was I kidding on that? An act that violates a standard of right conduct. An act that violates a standard of of right conduct. It is also defined as a quality of injustice. Everybody just listen. I taped it to my board so it wouldn't move. If it got all weird, we'd all get motion sickness so you'd never want to come back to church. So I'm trying to help it. An act that violates a standard of right conduct. Well, let me ask you this question. What is righteousness? Didn't we spend a whole Sunday going over the fact that we have a God who is righteous? What did we talk about there? I shouldn't ask you that. That's probably going to hurt me because you don't remember. What does it mean that God is righteous? He's what? He's without sin. He's what? He's right. Notice how simple that is. Righteousness is the fact of what is right. And God is always right. And because he is the creator, the creator, and we are the creatures, he defines what is right for us. Not only is he right and he defines what is right, but he can't do anything but what is right. His behavior is always consistent with his character and his convictions. Does that make sense? So when we talk about unrighteousness, we're talking about super wrongness. Does everybody see that? That's what we're talking about. So in ungodliness, we have a thinking about God and his authority that removes him from the process. In unrighteousness, we're talking about deeds that are stemming from godless thinking. Let me give you a prime example is, uh, um, oh, good grief, what is his name? Richard Dawkins. Anybody ever seen anything from Richard Dawkins? He's the world's leading atheist. And he's not just an atheist. It's not that he doesn't believe that there's a God. He'll tell you that there's nothing, nothing exists, that type of thing. There's no one out there that loves you. There's no purpose in life. There's all that stuff. He's an anti-theist. He knows God exists, and he hates his guts. 
This is a guy that champions the atheist society over in Europe to put up billboards that says there is no God. Do whatever you want. Notice that he understands the moral implications of a godless society. When you take the authority of God's standard, his righteousness, out of the picture, everything becomes a free-for-all. Now let me ask you a question. Is that not what we're seeing in our society right now? Okay. So now watch what we've got here. The wrath of God is presently being revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. But notice those aren't just by itself. Here's what we find. Of who? Oh, man. Everybody just got squirmy. And here's the reason why. Here's your guilty party. So what I'm going to ask you to do, maybe put an arrow here. Guilty party. These are the, let's give it a fun word, culprits. You see that? I can't even see that. What's going on? No better? No? Terrible. Who designed this thing? Have a focus? It does not. Okay, everybody just love me, okay? It's probably my handwriting. I write in blur. That's what I do. So... But notice this, you have guilty parties. The second thing that you've got going on here is the fact that, notice, this is the origin of the ungodliness and unrighteousness. Where does sin come from? You should remember this from foundational framework. From within. From the heart. Right? The idea in Isaiah 14 was you were a beautiful angel until, scary word, there was, and it's interesting they use this word, unrighteousness found in you. Everybody remember that? Let me show you something real quick. Take your Bibles and let's look at this. Go to Jeremiah 17. Let's look at this for just a second. I don't want to dwell too much on other passages, but I do think that this would be helpful. Jeremiah 17. And we're going to look at from 5 to 10. If you want some really good devotional reading throughout the week, just a passage to dwell on every day, Monday through Friday, go to, go to Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. Check it out, okay? Here we go. Verse 5, thus says Yahweh, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Everybody see that? There's your sober thinking about the government. There it is, right there. They're not here to save you. That's important to understand. They are not a savior. So notice this. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. I'll look over at my son and say, buddy, you want some help? I got this. Now here's what's scary about that. He heard that from me. Everybody see that? Notice what it says, and makes flesh his strength. I got this. That's what that's saying. How about the next one? And whose heart turns away from Yahweh. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will will not see when prosperity comes and will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. That sounds like a bad place, right? Parched and desolate. However, I love the transition. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in Yahweh and whose trust is Yahweh. Everybody see the difference there? You're not just trusting in him. He is your trust. That's good stuff. Ride that all the way home. How about verse 8? 
For he will be like a tree planted by water. This probably brings back Psalm 1 to you. That extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. And then here it is, guys, watch. The heart is more deceitful than all else. Where does sin come from? Within the heart. The heart is deceitful, more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now watch this. I, Yahweh, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deed. The sick heart that we all have is the culprit of which ungodliness and unrighteousness spring out of. And those things are deserving of God's wrath that is presently going on. Now, not only do we have that problem, but notice that this wrath is against people. Too often we want to blame God for why things go wrong. It's not His fault. He's right. Because He is righteous. Someone who blames God for why something didn't work out has an attribute problem. Because they're not seeing God clearly for who He is. No, He's the one who is loving. He's the one who is gracious. He's the one who provides a Savior. But by no means does He compromise a standard for the sake of sinful people. It is that very standard that demonstrates the darkness in our hearts that shows us that we need a Savior in the first place. So notice, we've got a guilty party here of man. We know that the origin of ungodliness and unrighteousness is within. It's the heart. It's a heart issue. And notice that it's against all people. Now, watch this. It's against men. Look at the next line. Who do what? Man, this is a $5 word. Suppress. There is so much here, it's unbelievable. What does it mean to suppress something? To hold it down. To suppress it. To cover it up. To demean it in some way. To make it different. What is it? Pretend it doesn't exist. Man, there's a lot of pretending going on today. There's a lot of people living life as if God didn't exist. Ungodliness, right? Does everybody realize they're pretending? See, for your fantasy, you don't need to have princess slippers and a ball. It doesn't have to happen. You just need to live life as if God wasn't there. And you're automatically in a fantasy land. You're automatically operating in a way that is other than what is true. Does everybody understand this? Yes? Nobody else excited about but me? I'm so excited I'm getting ready to cough, okay? So here we go. Suppress. Let me give you some things about suppression. Okay? Number one, I want to give you this definition because it is the smart Greek people's definition. Okay? To prevent the doing of something or to cause to be ineffective. Now, the reason why I wrote a little one here, let me give it to you again to prevent the doing of something or to cause to be ineffective. The reason why I gave you number one is because when you look at this word in the lexicons, you find that there are actually eight possible definitions for this word. And I said, good googly moogly. So I had to start filtering through all of it 
And I came to the understanding of, yes, verse 1. But here's what was interesting is the scholars who put this together thought that ver- the, the definition number 6 was applicable as well. So I'm going to ask you to put a little arrow out here and maybe put like a number 6 right there. And let me give you that one real quick, okay? Lay claim to. And they had in parenthesis there as in a legal situation. Can everybody, are we doing good? No? Good grief. Who wrote this? Like a mouse has been decorating my paper. Here we go. That better? No, it's not, is it? Thank you, Arlene, for always being honest. There. Lay claim to. Legal. You guys are like, he can't even write. Why did we hire him? Um, And here's what they have. The point that... A claim is made for truth, which is denied in practice. And they said, you know, and here's what's interesting. They only had Romans 1.18 that went with this. To lay claim to something, as in a legal situation, the point that a claim is made for truth. Get that. A claim is made that it's true. But as it unfolds and you see the conduct or the practice that comes out of it, you realize that it was actually a lie. That's the idea of suppression. It's the idea of not just holding something down, but it being in fact that it's coded in falsehood. That it's being promoted as the right thing, the right way. All right, let me give it to you this way. Don't you know that everybody's doing this? Well, everybody's okay with this now. Well, you know, they say, I know it makes my wife mad because I'm always like, who are they? Well, they say, who are they? I want to know who these fools are because I automatically don't agree with them. Trying to tell me I need to lose weight. I don't like them. We got donuts after church, but seriously, (laughs) who are they? Are they projecting the idea of truth? And if you follow it and let them just be according to their standard and it unfolds to be a lie. Anybody think of situations like that that maybe you've seen recently? Maybe things that go on in your own life or on the public stage? Probably. So it's the idea of suppressing, suppression, holding it down. Now here's the interesting thing. Why would you need to suppress something? Is it dangerous? Possibly. Why would you need to hold something down? Could it do irrevocable damage if it was let loose? Let me ask you the question. Is God's word dangerous? Oh, you are missing it. Of course it's dangerous. God's word is the most dangerous weapon on the face of the earth. I love what C.S. Lewis says uh, in Chronicles of Narnia. The little girl Lucy is talking to Mr. Badger. Anybody read that lately? Man, fun stuff. Okay, just me, just Jamie and, and I know what's going on. Okay. But little Lucy comes to Mr. Badger and Talk about Aslan is coming. The lion is coming. Lion is the Christ figure in the whole thing. And she says, Mr. Badger, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Badger laughs at her and goes, safe? No, he's not safe. But he's good. And he's the king. He's not safe. The word of God's not safe. It is dangerous. You don't believe it. 
Go to a rally this month and start talking to people about Jesus. Make up a billboard that has, for the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. You think you're going to get some comments? Or do you think everybody's going to look at you and go, you know what? That is the most non-threatening thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Is that how people react? No. Here is the reason why it is so dangerous. Because truth is a change agent. Truth demands that you see things for what they are, and if you are not in alignment with it, you better do an inventory. That you might have to clean house at its reflection. This is the reason why people who are on the fringe don't really like to come to church. It's not the fact that the truth is wrong or that it's boring or anything like that. It's the fact that they're in a place where they know if they encounter the truth, something's got to change. Something's got to be different. Well, if I believe that about God's word, I'd have to stop sleeping with my boyfriend. You're right. Welcome to reality. There is a God. And you are in danger of contracting an STD. Stop your stupidness. Stop living in a fantasy land. That's exactly what that comes to. That's exactly how people's worlds come crushing down because everything that they had built to be the most ideal situation where I'm just going to be happy. This is just me time. It's a fantasy. It doesn't exist. If you want me time, you will shake hands with the world for the rest of your life. However, if you realize what God has provided and that he has a standard, you will take note and you will do as many of the prophets did when they called other people. You need to pay attention to what's really going on. God's wrath is being revealed right now. And it's our sin that causes this revealing. You have to suppress something because it will change people. You have to cover it up. Remember last week, I think it was, or maybe it was two weeks ago, I showed where a church in Atlanta had hired a medium, a a spiritist. You see that? Is that right? No. But you know what it tells me? Somebody suppressed the word of God to get that passed. That person is getting paid to represent Jesus Christ in the midst of a church. And all God's people said, what? That makes no sense. What is going on there? Good Lord. Now watch this. What has to be suppressed is the truth. And why is that? Three reasons. Number one, the truth is the fact of a situation. It is the fact. Number two, when you are dealing with facts, you are dealing with an authority. If facts are going to speak, they are going to speak in a such way where there is no compromise. Facts don't have to be fudged. They're just facts. That's just what they are. Now, our response to them is we can either believe what God has said or we can reject what God has said. But whether we believe or don't believe doesn't change the fact that God said it and that's the standard of what it is. Does that make sense? Well, I'm not going to believe you, God. And God goes, well, I'm so sorry. Let me get back in these Ten Commandments and start changing stuff. Is this better for you? Oh, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. It doesn't happen that way. Too often we think God is Plato and we think our Bibles are made of rubber. They're not. 
You can't bend them, twist them, mold them, shape them any way that you want to. It doesn't happen. And that's what makes the truth so dangerous to people is it gets in there and it does precise surgical work. If you've ever come under conviction of sin, you know that the word of God is the scalpel that the Holy Spirit uses to root out the garbage. The fact that I have to go home and I can't continue to exist the way that I'm existing here out of the public eye, I've got to do inventory. I've got to clean house because God's word will not let me continue to exist successfully. That's called spiritual growth and it's painful. Notice because of ungodliness and unrighteousness, we have to suppress the truth. Not only is it fact, not only is it authority, but it is, and here's the one that everybody hates, reality. It's reality. <clears throat> Anybody ever watching these reality shows? Don't you think it's funny when you can tell because they're such bad actors what's scripted? Well, Joe told me we weren't going to the pool today, like they're reading the cue card. That's not reality. They're setting up a facade situation to make you think that it's real. It's not. Those people are not happy. They're empty. And everything you see them doing is trying to fill the emptiness. They're suppressing truth. They don't want to actually deal with the fact that they might be middle-aged on the way to nowhere because they refuse to take care of themselves. They refuse to get right with God. They're rude and crude to other people. They treat them like garbage and dirt. They're money and gold diggers and all that kind of things. They just want them. They are their biggest fan. And that's the reason why nobody wants to hang out with them in ultimate reality. So they got to be boisterous. They got to be loud. They got to flaunt themselves. Scary situation. It all is all a suppression of the truth of who they really are. Now, here's why this is dangerous, is because if you're here today and you're a sinner, which is everybody, we're all suppressionists in some way. We have all suppressed the truth, either about what God has said or about who we really are in some way. That's the reason why 1 John 1, 9 exists, because there's no one in the room that's better than another person. We all need mercy continually. So let's not sit here and think, yeah, that's those people. I don't like those people. Those people are us people. Don't put ourselves on a pedestal here. We're suppressionists as well. So notice, it's not only the fact of the situation, it's not only authority, but it's reality. And notice, here's the means by which they do the suppression. Unrighteousness. In other words, they have to use a sin solution to deal with their truth problem. And when they enact a sin solution to the truth problem they're dealing with, they create a truth distortion. Does everybody see that? The truth now becomes something other than what God actually says. Now here's a good one that's going to make some people upset, and if you don't like it, cool, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to hug you and share a donut with you, okay? Here we go. Beth Moore has gone off the deep end. Anybody kept up with her? How many of you ladies have done her studies? How many of you men have done her studies? Okay, just checking. I want to make sure. All right. But here's the thing. In 2016, she said, I had an awakening. I had a revelation. I realized just how misogynistic the church culture was. And so she started hanging out with Joyce Meyer, who's a heretic, by the way. If any of you ladies listen to her, burn that stuff. Don't listen to her anymore. She's garbage. She is. Her teaching, gone. Why? She's in complete violation of the word of God. You can't sit here and be a teacher of God's word when you blatantly violate publicly 
what it is listed out. And so Beth Morris thought that she would follow suit, and now she is stepping into that role to where she wants to be teaching in the local church. Well, that's so terrible. Why do you hate women? I don't. But God gave very clear parameters in his word what the roles for men and women were. I deviate from that. I'm in unrighteousness. I'm now suppressing the truth. Well, that's so cold. Well, that's so mean. It's not. The reason why we have a problem with it is because it's truth and we don't like it. Does everybody see that? So notice that reaction to truth, not being able to deal with it, it speaks authoritatively in that situation. Notice what we have here. It's the fact that it has to be done in unrighteousness. I have to take an unrighteous step in order to cover up the truth and redefine the truth so I can successfully keep living in sin. Does everybody see why this is so dangerous? Does everybody see why it deserves God's wrath? It is our feeble attempt. Everybody remember Adam and Eve, right? I should have brought my leaves with me. The leaf situation. Nothing going on here, God. We're good. Keep going. Don't pay attention here. It was a suppression. They were covering up the truth of what had been revealed about them instead of coming to God and saying, God, your word was right and we were wrong. We are so sorry. You love Adam, don't you? It's her fault, God. You brought her to me. I was like, woo, right? But now that she's done this, I don't know if I want her around anymore. She's kind of a burden. And then what did the woman do? It was the snake. Suppression, suppression, suppression. What's really true here? Let's just keep covering it up. Dangerous place. So now notice this unrighteousness here. This is the sin solution. This is the sin solution to our truth problem. Even on there, it's not. It's making me sick. <clears throat> now, here's an interesting thing about this. Uh, let me just write this down because I had notes. Uh, the introduction of the truth into any situation will always, number one, set a standard. Number two, claim the ultimate authority. And number three, bring guilt on whoever's going against it. That's what happened. Number one, it sets a standard. Number two, it is the authority. If it's true, it's the authority. There's no way around it. But number three, the thing that problem the, the people have a problem with is they need to get away from guilt. Now stop for a second. On the cross, didn't Jesus Christ die for sin and for guilt? Does everybody see the beauty of the Christian being able to admit their vulnerability and to say, Lord, I don't have it all together. In fact, that's the greatest part of my Christian walk is the fact I need you more and more. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that the closer I get to the Lord, it's not that I sin less. That's not the issue. The closer I get to the Lord, the more realizing I am of my sin. The more that I need him. It's not that I'm trying to cover it up, put on the perfect face. I'm the greatest Christian we got in this church. No! God is not pleased by that. That's pride. Pride is the greatest suppression of truth that the church has. And it's deserving because it is against the standard and it rails against all authority and tries to set an authority of I am the answer, I am the model, everybody look to me. It sets a standard that usurps God's truth. It's deserving of wrath. It's a scary place. Let's move on in interest of time here. Now watch this. That which is known, or sorry, because. This word because is important that we understand this and here's the reason why. It is the reason. Here is the reason that God's wrath is to be poured out. 
<coughs> Forgive me, that's terrible. The reason that it is to be poured out, don't get me wrong, ungodliness and unrighteousness are what are going to bring it. But there's something that ups the stakes, it ups the ante in this situation. And here's what it is. Because that which is known, which is evident about God, which can be clearly seen, is the idea, about God, is evident within them. It is evident within them. In fact, if you look over at Romans chapter 2, verse 15, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to write it down, it actually says that God has taken the time to write His law on every one of our hearts. Every one of our hearts. Everyone has this inerrant, ingrained idea of what is right and wrong. He actually makes an argument. Jews who have the law, they're expected to keep the law. Gentiles who don't have the law, when they keep the law, is that not a testimony against the Jews? They don't even have the standard of God, and yet God took the time to write it on all of our hearts. Why? So that when we're not stealing, and we're not coveting our neighbor's stuff, and we're not committing adultery, and we're not killing other people, it is a testimony that we know you shouldn't do that. Who told you that? Nobody had to because it's here. God wrote it. It is divinely imparted to every person. So notice, what can be known about God is evident within them. And here's the reason why. For God made it evident. God's great lengths to communicate His existence. And this is what we're going to see in the next coming weeks. His existence. Now let me show you something real quick, just so you understand how you can get with this. And if you want to copy this later, I'll share it with you. But this is what I came up with this week in dissecting this passage. All I did was spend three, four hours with it, pulling it apart, thinking through, what is Paul trying to tell me here? And this is what you come up with. The implications for this are insane. Here's the amazing thing about this. Everybody knows that God is there. Do me a favor, take your Bibles. Turn to John 3, real quick. Everyone knows God is present. John 3, verses 19 through 21. Verse 19, it says, This is the judgment. Now watch this. That light has come into the world. And men loved what? The darkness, rather than the light. Why? Notice the explanation. For their deeds were what? Now stop for a second. Their deeds were what? Isn't that a moral claim? Isn't that a claim that you would need a standard to compare that against? In order to know that something's evil, you've got to have a standard of good. You see what I'm saying? You've got to understand that. Now this is talking about people who have rejected the truth of what God has shown them because they love their evil deeds. They love darkness. Don't anybody see what I'm doing? It's behind closed doors. I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody has to find out about this. are you very successful in getting away from your conscience? No. See, that's what's interesting. Look at verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light. Notice this. Christian, pay attention. If you are practicing evil in your life, you may not say it. You would say, oh, I would never say that. But your heart is testifying by your actions that you hate the Lord. I think you need to understand that and see that. How do we know that? If you love me, you will do what? 
keep my commandments. Everybody remember that? John 14. So notice, it's very clear. The Bible tells us what love is. But notice, if you're clinging to your evil ways, if it's all about you, if you are the God that sits on the throne of your life, you have testified one thing as far as God is concerned. I hate the light. I don't want anything to do with it. Notice, he hates the light. Does not come to the light. For fear, notice fear is the motivator, that his deeds will be exposed. Now stop. If you're not doing anything wrong, why would you hide it? Isn't the fact that we have to hide certain things, testimony, self-testimony, that what we're doing is wrong? Everybody see that? We don't need God to step in the picture. We're testifying that what we're doing is not right. How do you know? Because when people come over, we're moving around, put it in the drawer, nobody see that. Right? I gotta, my, my parents are coming over. I've got to get my apartment prepared so they don't know who I really am. Man, that's a scary place to be. Living a lie, it's going to get tiresome. Look at verse 21, there's hope. But he who practices the truth, notice that, comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested because he's a good person? No, that's not what it is at all. Notice who gets the glory. As having been wrought in God. That's the standard. Now, Mitch, let's switch over and show some things here. Here are some examples of suppression. I want to give you some examples of suppression. And the first thing I want to talk about is the idea of labeling. <coughs> I've given some of you that are interested in getting involved in biblical counseling and all of the elders a book called Why Christians Can't Trust Psychology. And this is a factor in there in chapter 6. Labeling, naming the ills or habits of people, and it's also known as psychospeak is what it is. Now, I don't know about you, but psychospeak? I say stay away from me. Let me give you an example of this. Go ahead. An example would be alcoholic. Well, they're just an alcoholic. And it's been classified as a disease. However, what you find is there's no scientific proof that exists that alcoholism is a disease. None. No one can find anything. So why do we have a label like alcoholic? Well, what are the benefits that pour out of this suppression of what's really going on, what's the truth? Number one, private clinics and public hospitals are pulling in more than $1 billion in tax-supported payments and insurance claims. That's nice, isn't it? In fact, you'd be really quick to diagnose a situation like that if you knew there was a kickback, if you didn't have a conscience. Now, now some of you might say, and I know, Roxanne, Dr. Strabel, I get it, you guys are physicians, cool. But I also have no reason to think that you guys are practicing unethically. So there shouldn't be any fear there. How about the next one? Also, it allows and excuses for continuous reckless behavior. How many times has somebody got to fall off the wagon for you to lose your patience with them? How many, how many chances are given? Well, they just can't help it. Well, we just need to dry them out. You dry them out, and what do they do? Go right back to it. Why? Because the consequences weren't severe enough for them to stop. And they get to the point where they end up losing spouse, family, friends, money. They just can't stop. Are you sure? Are you sure they don't know what the truth that's going on here? We're not saying they're not addicted. That's not the problem that we're dealing with here. We're not saying they're not addicted. Of course they can get addicted because it started to become a normal intake of their system. What we're saying is, is it's not a disease that they claim to be the victim of. It brings the perpetual victim mentality. If you're an alcoholic and you start going to an AA meeting, when do you get to stop? Never. Have you noticed that? You get to keep going. You know what that is? It's really good for AA business. 
It's really good for them to keep promoting that higher power that you all need to believe in. You know what that's called? Godlessness. There's only one higher power. It's Jesus Christ. He has a name. Believe in him to be saved from this garbage or suffer. That's the difference. Are you saying that Jesus can cure all my ills? Yes, I do. If he's truth, then he's got the answer for all of it. And we either believe it or we don't. God's word's either sufficient or it's not. There is no private sector and public sector. There is no sacred and secular. That's the greatest problem we've dealt with in our culture. It's compartmentalizing Jesus Christ so we don't have to deal with the truth. No wonder the wrath of God is coming upon people. That is the most ungodless and unrighteous thing we could do is take the creator of all things and separate him from all the things that he's created. He speaks authoritatively in every subject in life. Because if he's not right in all of it, here's one thing. You can't trust him in any of it, so don't bother trying. This is the problem we get into. How about being perpetually categorized so that the hope of victory is always out of reach? They'll never be cured. You'll always, isn't that what they tell them? You'll always be an alcoholic. You need to be aware of that. Where's the victory in Christ Jesus? If you're addicted to pornography, are you always going to be addicted to pornography? Well, that's different. No, it's not. You just got labeled. There's no hope for you. You see what I'm saying? It has put a lid on you and you cannot excel beyond. And notice that it's all about how well you do. One of the greatest things in getting beyond these things is realizing you don't have the power to do anything and you cast yourself at the mercy of the cross to help you with that ongoing sin. That's what brings a victory. Suppression number two. It's the next one we have there. Mitch? I don't remember what it is, but we'll throw it up there. Number two. Oh, it's the Wisconsin billboard. Yeah, bring that billboard up. Here it is. Wisconsin's outdated law criminalizes abortion and could put doctors in jail. We deserve better. Let me tell you this. If you're looking for the suppression in something, it's most all the time found in language. How do you manipulate language? What do you think happens with an outdated law? What are they trying to tell you? An outdated law needs to be an updated law. Art, don't they say this? Well, our culture has changed a lot since then. Isn't that the argument that you hear? Well, we've evolved as a society. Let me ask you a question. Did God's truth change? No, murder's still illegal. God still hates it. God still put it in the Ten Commandments that he did not want that to happen. But think about the doctors. They're the victims here. They could end up in jail. Let me ask you a question. Because Illinois just passed this. You're in the middle of giving birth to a child and you get the child all the way out except for the head. You pierce the back right underneath the skull, stick a vacuum in there and pull its brains out until the skull collapses so that you can remove the child. You tell me, does a doctor need to be put in jail? I was going to show a video. Doctor starts it out on YouTube. He says, my name is such and such and I performed over 1,200 abortions. And I started crying and I couldn't even watch the video. Does everybody see the death parade? Who are the guilty parties here? The doctors. No, they're the victims. They're not guilty. They're the victims. Everybody see how messed up that is? See, now you're all awake. I love this. How about the next one? This is a shocking headline. Model gay adoptive father sexually abused six-year-old for years and offered him to a pedophile ring. 2013. 
was a couple from Australia who went into Russia and adopted a child because back then you, you could adopt children pretty easily because they had a surplus. You, they really needed people to care for them. And they were touted in the media as, boy, the redefining family. They're, they're really, wow, this is, this is what the new world is going to look like. Look how we can really make this work. People are saying it's not going to work, but look, they're really, they're coming together. Look at the love that is in this situation. Now, this isn't characteristic for every gay couple. Please understand that. This is the unusual in this situation. But come to find out, not only did they abuse the child, but they ended up setting it up to where they're traveling all over the world to pass this child around. What truth is being suppressed here? The truth being promoted is that this is the model gay adoptive fathers. What was the truth? Sin. Sin. That's the truth. We had to suppress it. Sin. How about the next one? Catholic schoolgirls in Australia taught God is gender neutral and they are banned from using father and son in their prayers. Is that a suppression of the truth? It doesn't take long cracking open your Bible and start reading in Genesis 1. You find out there's a God. He uses the pronoun he. I love it. God's gender pronouns are he and him. That's what we can tell everybody. It's not zize, zim, them. These, there, I actually read an article where a transgender person wanted to be called they. And I was like, that tells me more about what's going on inside than anything. Now understand this. The reason why transgender people are changing in this way is because they are hurting. They have no answers. People have sinned against them in their lives that we don't understand. And so the utmost compassion needs to be had in dressing this. Why? Because we're sinners just like they are sinners. Their sin is just different than ours. doesn't make us any better. But if we have the answer to this issue, would we not go to them? Does everybody see the suppression? The suppression of this. Now these are just headlines. This wasn't any different with Jesus. You guys say that you fell asleep and somebody took his body. And then we'll, 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 we'll pay you, we'll smooth it over with the other guy. Suppression of truth. What was the truth? Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and victorious over sin, hell, death, the grave. That's the truth. But see, we don't like the truth. Why? Because the truth calls us to account. The Word of God speaks authoritatively and exposes this mess. Our culture is getting in line, championing our way to destruction, approving of it, loving it, legislating it, encouraging people, do a new story about this. You can see the bias in the newspaper, can you not? Can you not? Don't pretend like you can't. I read it. Something different's going on at the Portage newspaper. How many people have noticed it? See what I'm saying? I'll tell you what it is, suppression of truth. See it for what it is. It's a suppression of truth. Now you're saying, good grief, this is extremely negative. How do we end this on a positive note? We end it this way. Guys, what you hold in your hands is the unsuppressed Word of God. And it doesn't just tell you what sin is. It does that. But here's what I love about it. It tells you the solution. Not the solution for one sin, not the solution for five sins, the solution for every sin. And here's what it doesn't do, is it doesn't sit here and depict God 
is somebody waiting with a Louisville slugger for somebody to get out of line. God is the offended party. He's the victim here. Does everybody understand this? But what does he do as the victim? As the victim, he turns around and looks at his oppressors, that's us, and he provides the solution so that reconciliation can be had with him once more. And it costs him everything. Jesus Christ is the answer to our constant need to try to suppress truth in our society, in our world. He is the answer. I don't know about you, but that's a good thing. And if people are existing in these types of situations that we have seen, and they're going on all over the world, these are just a few incidents that we've seen, then here's the amazing thing. You and I, if we have the unsuppressed truth, we have that truth for one reason and one reason only. Not to fill up ourselves, but to bring truth as the change agent in front of other people. We don't have to be mean. We don't have to be a jerk. We can be loving. We can be cordial. We can be kind. We can plead with people. Fall on our knees and be humble before them. We don't need to parade anything. We have nothing to parade. I love it when Paul says, I claim to know nothing amongst you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And there is the truth. The unsuppressed truth that every one of these situations needs to hear. No one is so far gone that they cannot come back. But they will not come back on their own. They have got to have a reason. And Jesus Christ is the only reason for coming back. There's nothing else. Pray with me. Father, we know that sin is serious. If we doubt that in some way, help us to see it more clearly. But Father, I pray that every one of our hearts can rejoice in the fact that you are the answer. You are the answer to all of it. Not just some of it. Not just the religious part of it. Not just the areas that we want to allow you to venture into. But you are the cure for this constant need to deflect the authority of your word. Your word even tells us that you invite us to come to the throne of grace boldly. 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 We can find grace and mercy in a time of need. You invite the broken. You invite the wrong. You invite the riddled. You invite the accused. You invite the confused. You invite those who are afflicted. In the quiet hours of the night, we may sit there and think in our minds, I do not have it all together. That's probably the most truthful thought we've ever come to. We all desperately need the transformation that only Jesus Christ can give. Father, if we know, and and I know we do, those people in our lives that need to hear about your love, your mercy, your grace, the peace that you offer, the freedom that only you can give. Everybody talks about how they're doing things for freedom. They're not free. They've become enslaved to their passions. Only you set people free. I'm sure right now the devil wants to sow discord and excuses in our minds about why we don't need to believe this or why we don't need to react to this or why we don't need to embrace this fact. Your wrath is being revealed against sin. All men are at fault. You've made yourself known, both within and without. And so we are accountable. 
God, you invite us to know what pure mercy is. So those people that we know, they need to hear about your mercy. They need to know about your profound love. They need to know about the fact that all shame and guilt can be forgiven, gone, removed, never to be remembered again. How blessed we are to have such a great Savior. Pray it in His name. Amen.